All right, we're it's still in our summer series called Kids Stuff for Adults. And I, I know our regulars are tired of hearing me say this, but we have guests every single week. So I've got to explain what this title is all about because people will go, Kids Stuff, what am I doing here? Well, what we're doing is we're taking a lot of the stories that we teach our children in Sunday school and church, some of the great Bible stories, some of the great Bible characters, and we teach them, but later on as adults, we never come back and visit these stories again. And so what we've been doing for the last several summers is we've been going back and revisiting those stories that we teach our children, but from an adult perspective, with an adult application. We just finished Raiders of the Lost Ark the last several weeks. And, you know, we all saw the movie, but this is the real story in First Samuel, uh, the Old Testament book of First Samuel, according to the prophet Samuel. Israel went to battle with the Philistines and lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. We saw all the implications of that. Then we saw the, the next week all the implications upon the Philistines for having the Ark of the Covenant when it wasn't their property to have. And then last week we saw it returned. And we saw from the return of the Ark the three ways that people respond to God. One is that those who fear God push God away. The Philistines were afraid of God. They didn't want anything to do with God Jehovah. They wanted the Ark out of their country. Then we saw those who disrespect God, provoke his anger. We saw that 70 of the Israelites, when the ark came back, they, they disrespected God by looking into the ark to see the, 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 the items that were in the ark, and God struck them dead. And then we also saw that people who revere God, they receive him gladly. They're neither afraid of him, nor they, do they want to disrespect him. But it, it's a positive thing. They receive him gladly. Now, we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel, which is an Old Testament book, if you want to turn there in your Bible, if you have your Bible, if not, I'll have the verses on the screen. And we're going to see what happens next. Because what happens next is another, another pivotal point in the history of Israel. It, 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 it's, a, it's an incident, it's an event that happens to them that is going to have both positive results, but far, far, far more negative results. So let's continue the story and see what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. Remember, Samuel is a prophet of God, but he's also a judge. Samuel kind of is a bridge now in the history of Israel between the time of the judges that we've been studying last summer and, and this summer to the time of the prophets. He's both a judge and a prophet. So he's a spiritual leader of Israel. It says... He grew old, and he appointed his sons to be his successor. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his way. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. They were kind of like the sons of Eli we talked about a couple weeks ago. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. When the people came and they asked for a king, Samuel's heart was grieved. And so he took this to the Lord. God responded to him in 1 Samuel 8, 9 said, now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. God says, all right, now you listen to them, 
But you go back and you remind them, you warn them about what a king will bring into their lives. And he lists the list. He says, you go back and remind them that this king is going to impress their sons into military service. And he's going to run before the king's chariots and they're going to go into battle. You remind them that he is going to impress uh, your daughters. He's going to make them serve in his palace and his kingdom as perfumers and, and cooks and bakers and laundry people. He says, you remind them that he's going to tax their crops 10%. And then you remind them above taxing their crops, he's going to require the best of their crops, 10% for him and for those who rule with him. So you remind him, and he goes on and on and on and on about all these things that human kings impress upon and all, all, all the things that they oppress people who, who are their subjects with. He says, you remind them of all that. So verse 10, 1 Samuel 8, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He says, he goes back, he says, I've taken this to the Lord. Here's what God told me to tell you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen and give them a king. God said, okay, listen and give them a king. Now, this story is the classic fulfillment of the adage, be careful what you wish for. We've heard that adage. We've had people say to us, now, you better be careful what you wish for. Sometimes we say, you better be careful what you ask for. And in the church, sometimes we even say, you better be careful what you pray for, Right? But it's the classic illustration of this adage going amok because Israel's kings ultimately led them to serve other gods. And probably you could even make the argument that it was Israel's kings who so poorly led the nation and so repressed their worship of God Jehovah that they missed the coming of Messiah when Jesus finally came. Here's the mistakes they made. There were two. The first was they wanted to blend in. See, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations. They said, we want to be like the other nations. They all have kings. And their kings wear pretty robes. And their kings have crowns. And their kings have palaces. And their kings have chariots. We want a king. We want a king. See? They wanted to blend in. They want it to be like all the other nations. But Genesis, remember, is the story that broke them out from all the other nations. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, God scanning the face of the earth finds a faithful man named Abram. And he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. In other words, God says to Abraham, Just start walking, and when you get there, I'll let you know you've arrived. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. Ultimately, that is the nation of Israel. And it says, And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God says this, Abram, I'm making you of a great nation. I'm going to rise up the nation of Israel in your ancestry. 
And you're going to be a great people. You're going to be a mighty nation. And he says, I'm going to put a blessing on anyone who blesses you as a nation. I'm going to put a curse on anybody who curses you as a nation. And he says, through you, all the other nations on earth, all the other people groups of earth will be blessed because of my relationship with you. Later, when Moses is giving the law to the nation of Israel, he reminds them of this, and God reminds them. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning of verse 6, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now look what he says. He says, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. He says, do you understand the position God has granted to you? He says, out of all people on planet Earth, God chose you to be his treasured possession. Goes on to say, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. God didn't look for the the, the greatest population center. Okay, well, I'm going to use you since you're the greatest population center. He said, for you were the fewest of all the people. He said, you were this little inky-dinky little tribe over here. You were nothing when I chose you. He said, but it was because the Lord loved you, and he kept an oath that he swore to your forefathers, Abraham and Isaac. But see, they wanted to blend in, which was the antithesis of what God had called them to do. They weren't to blend in. They were to stand out in the world. They were to stand out in such a demonstrative way that all the other nations, all the other kingdoms of earth would look at them and look specifically at God's blessing on them and be attracted to God Jehovah and put their faith in God Jehovah. So Israel was asking to do the exact opposite of what God had called them to do. Their second mistake was they wanted a king. Now, understanding the times again, we, we can kind of understand where they might have been coming from. We remember looking at this verse several times in the last several weeks, the last verse in the book of Judges, when it says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. In other words, because there was no central leadership, there was no kingdom, there's no monarchy, there was chaos in the, among the people. There was anarchy. Everyone was kind of doing what they wanted to do. That's why God would raise up judges from time to time to bring the people back to order. So they were, you know, thinking, hey, you know, we, you know we, we, there's no king, there's no leadership. And the other problem was this. As we already saw, they came to Samuel, who was their prophet, their leader, their spiritual leader, and said, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now let me just give a sidebar right here. And let me point out how important it is for parents to instill within their children faith. Now, Samuel was a great man of God. He's praised in Scripture. But as a father, he failed to train his sons to honor and respect God. And instead, they were extorting the people, and they were creating injustices and all that kind of thing. And you might argue that it was because of Samuel's spiritual failure as a parent that the nation of Israel wanted a human king. You know, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, it's so important what we pass on to our children. It's so important because whatever we pass on sets a series of dominoes falling. 
And whether those dominoes will fall in, an, in a positive direction or a negative direction oftentimes depends on not only what we try to teach and instill in our children, but in my experience, more importantly, the life that we model before our children. So he says, the people come and said, we can't follow your sons. I know you've appointed them judges over us, but they don't, they're not like you. They're evil. And so we want a king. The problem is they already had a king. Not only did they have a king, they had the king. See? Now, now God understood what was going on here. In his discourse with Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 7, the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. Now look what he says. Now Samuel, understand, it's not you they've rejected. He said, but they have rejected me as their what? As their what? He said, that's who they rejected. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. See, in essence, what they wanted was a new king. They already had a king, but they wanted an earthly king. Now, now here's what's amazing. Here's the attributes that they wanted. This is the characteristics that they were looking for in their new king. They wanted a king who would lead them. So what it said in Samuel, we want a king over us, a king to lead us, like all the other kings on earth, with all their pomp and circumstance and display of might and majesty. We want that kind of a king. Now, wait a minute. Now, now let's just review quickly a little Israeli history here. I mean, God leads Abraham out of all the people of earth to a promised land that he promises to Israel to be forever and ever. They mess up and end up down in Egypt where the Egyptians enslave them for 400 years. And it's King Jehovah who breaks the back of Pharaoh and leads them out of Egyptian bondage across a dry bed Red Sea that he had miraculously parted in front of them into a wilderness where he led them and fed them and gave them water to drink for 40 years of wandering because of their rebelliousness. And during that 40 years, miraculously enabled their clothes to last, never to wear out, never their shoes to wear out. Then he led them once again across the Jordan that he parted for them to cross on dry ground again, up into the promised land. And over and over and over again, he has not only led them, he has led them miraculously. Who could ask for more than that? They also wanted a king to go out before them and fight their battles. That's what they said. They said, we want a king over us to go out before us and fight our battles. We want the king in his armor and on his chariots with his armies. And we, we want a king. Now, you're already connecting the dots. I can, I can see it in your, in your minds. But what really slays me is look at what happened just before, immediately before the people are coming to Samuel, asking him for a king. Look at, look at what just happened. Go back a chapter in the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel 1 Samuel 7, verse, beginning of verse 7. Now, remember, they're still at war with the, the Philistines. We've been looking at over the last several weeks, and the Philistines they have re, returned the ark. It's been 20 years since they returned the ark now. 
It says, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzvah, the rulers of the Philistines came to attack them. The Philistines still wanted to conquer Israel. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, don't miss this, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Once again, Israel is melting away in abject fear before another nation that God has raised up against them. And so they go to Samuel and say, don't stop praying, don't stop praying, keep praying, praying that God will, will deliver us. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Scripture says they started fighting each other. They, 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 they cry to God and King Jehovah, all he's got to do is make the heavens rumble, a little lightning, a little thunder. And the Philistines start running around in absolute panic and disarray to the point where they're fighting each other and they're routed before the Philistines. Now we can go back and look at time after time that God has done this. God brings the plagues against Pharaoh. God brings them across the Jordan to go up against Jericho with its high walls. And they walk around the city seven times and God causes the walls to fall down so they can walk in and conquer the city. Over and over and over again. Gideon. We're getting with 300 Israelites overcomes 50,000 Midianites. Miraculously, God has led them over and over and over again. But they want a king to fight their battles? All right, let's bring it home. Amazing story, right? What does it have to do with you? What does it have to do with me? What do we need to take home from this story today? Well, we need to take home two very important things. Their first mistake is they what? They want it to blend in. Let me ask you a question. Are you trying to blend into the world today? You trying to blend in? At work, trying to just blend in, just go do my job. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I, 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 I'm, you know, I, I've got, I got my church life, and I got my family life, and I've got my work life, or I got my school life, or I've got whatever life it is. I, I, I just want to stay under the radar. I don't want to make waves. I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to blend in. See, so many of us end up there in our spiritual journey. But look what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Now we're talking in the New Testament. Now we're talking to Christ followers, people like us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has trusted Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the what? The new has come. In other words, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, we are eternally, radically changed. Who we were in our helplessness and our hopelessness has been changed into a powerful new creation that is able to demonstrate spiritual power and impact in a dark world. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 2.9, but you, now, he's speaking to you, put your name in there. You are a chosen people, just like God had chosen the Israelites they failed to accomplish their mission. And so scripture says God has temporarily now 
diverted his attention from Israel to the Gentile nations and given them the responsibility that Israel failed to do. He said, a royal priesthood, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, he has elevated you. You're a new creation. You're his chosen one now. You're a royal priesthood. You are the people now belonging to God. Listen, Jesus didn't make us new creations so that we could blend in. We're not supposed to blend in. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. He, he uses this, this analogy that we as believers are salt. Now, salt serves two purposes, and it did back in this time. First purpose is it flavors food. You know, I'm always amazed. I go to a restaurant, and I'm kind of watching around and waiting for my food, and I'll see a table or something, you know, nearby. The waiter, the waitress come and, and, and lay a platter of food before somebody. And before they even pick up their fork, they get the salt thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, well, why don't you just unscrew it and just use the whole thing, you know? Let's, let's quit wasting time here with the little holes, you know? Why? Because some people just love the impact salt has on food and how it just makes the flavor just pronounced. But there's another, and back in this day, there was a more important use for salt, and that was as a preservative. It was the main food preservative of the day. It preserved the food from going bad. It preserved the meat from rotting. And so what Jesus is saying here is more of that second definition. He says, you're the preservative in the world. You are the ones who are supposed to preserve morality. You are the ones who are supposed to preserve a presence of spirituality. You are the ones who I am using to preserve righteousness in this world that is continually rebelling against me. That's why it says if salt loses its savor, then what good is it anymore? It'll just be trampled by men. See, you are here to be salt God has elevated you above everyone else at work. He has elevated you past everyone at school. You are to be a moral preservative. You are to be a spiritual preservative. Now, we're not to do that in obnoxious, hateful ways. We're to do it in very sensitive and loving ways. But we need to be preservatives in a world that is decaying quicker than we can blink our eyes. He goes on to say, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you're the salt of you, you're the preservative, but you're also the light. He says, don't hide your light. Let your light shine. Don't try to blend in. Don't try to live under the radar. You get out there and live above the radar. Let people know that you are a child of the king of the kings and the Lord of lords. Let your light shine so that people know you're in this world. See? Now, their second mistake is they wanted a new king. 
Now, let, me, let me get a little personal. Who or what are you making king of your life today? Who is ruling your thought life? Who is ruling your behavior? Who is ruling how you use your resources? Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will what? Will find it, see? Who or what is your king? Paul says this in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, stop trying to blend in. That's what he's saying. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't just take cultural things on board and live your life according to culture. Don't take the material desires of this world and live for those. Don't make those king. He says, he says you need to stop trying to blend in. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, that's the key. You gotta be transferred by the renewing of your mind. You gotta stop looking at yourself as some kind of a second-rate citizen, some kind of a second-rate person in culture, and you need to be reminded that God has created you a new creation. He has empowered you. He has equipped you to be the moral preservative of our society. He has equipped you to be a bright light in a dark world. He has allowed you to have that, have all of that to occur in your life. Say this with me. God is my king. Is my king. Jesus, is my Jesus is my Lord. God is my king. Is my king. Jesus is my Lord. Is my and scripture says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Hallelujah. Who is your king this morning? Come on now, who is your king? Now, I'm going to take you back in time, about 40 years. I'm going to take you back to a song that, that when I was a young father and a, a young preacher, it was a really important song. And I think the song, many of you will recognize it, just communicates the message that this biblical encounter wants us to learn today and us to ponder and think about. Listen as Rusty sings it. <laughs> 